We come to a time of listening for God's Word to us this morning. The Bible is filled with many examples of people who have received a call from God. The call of Moses, the call of Peter and James and John. And this morning we have an opportunity to hear from the book of Isaiah about the call of Isaiah in the sixth chapter. On Choir Appreciation Sunday, we have a particular anthem this morning that takes the text of this and sets it to music. And as we just affirmed in our affirmation of faith, when the arts contribute to the praise and prayer of a Christian congregation, when they help to look beyond themselves to God and to the world, which is the object of God's love, So listen now for God's word for you as it comes to us in this anthem and these words from the book of Isaiah.
Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Very likely, you are becoming aware of the fact, as I am, that next month marks the 800th anniversary of the Magna Carta. That great charter that established the rule of law for the English-speaking world. There was an article about it this week in the Wall Street Journal. The Huntington Library has a wonderful program on the calendar next month to commemorate the occasion. In 1215, the idea that the law should stand above the government first took contractual form in the West. As one historian put it, the whole constitutional history of England is little more than a commentary on Magna Carta. Some developments, some moments in history set in motion a course of action that changes everything. Such was the signing of the Magna Carta that brought the rule of law to life in the English-speaking world 800 years ago. This morning, this text, which our choir just sang, tells of another significant transformation for people of faith 2,800 years ago. And it set in motion a restoration of faith in God, of justice in society, and of kindness throughout the land. And it all began with this vision, a cleansing and a commissioning of Isaiah. Remarkable things happen in small ways in the kingdom of God. Now I imagine that Isaiah must have wondered what he was going to do with his life. He must have pondered what the alternatives were that were available to him should he follow in his father's footsteps? Should he leave home like a prodigal son? Perhaps become a priest? Maybe Isaiah was attracted by wealth and fame. We really don't know. In fact, we know very little about this prophet. But what we do know is that the essence of his message and the impact of his service for God in the community and in history was remarkable. And because of this text in Isaiah 6, we know that he had some kind of a spiritual awakening one day while attending worship, and it set in motion a course of action that changed everything. Now, the Bible tells lots of stories about others who were called to service by God. Some while threshing wheat, others while tending a flock on the side of a mountain somewhere. But Isaiah was called in the act of worship when he had this vision that changed his life, and it changed the life of others. For anything to be a call from God, it always does both. 
It changes the life of the person who hears the call, and it changes the lives of other people in the community of faith. It's never simply for the edification of the individual. And here's how Isaiah records the story. He says, The hem of the Lord's robe filled the temple. Now, for those of us who recently had a chance to visit Israel and see the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and those of us who perhaps have had a chance to see a model replica of the temple, we know what an impressive structure that is. But for Isaiah, the Lord, and the vision that he saw so towered over that impressive edifice in such a way that only the hem of his robe completely filled the temple. And the thresholds shook like that earthquake in Nepal recently. And Isaiah feared for his life. And the seraphim that we just heard sung about rather than protecting the deity as they did in the ancient Near East, actually covered and protected themselves because this God needs no protection. And then taking tongs from the worship space, they bring a cleansing to the mouth of the prophet so that he could speak a word from the Lord. And when asked, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah responds, here am I, send me. It was a turning point. And it set in motion a course of action that changed everything. Now regardless of what actually happened that day, Isaiah still had to make some kind of a personal decision about the significance of, that he alone had to take that leap of faith that's always at the center of one's response to God's call. Regardless of how Isaiah came to believe that God had commissioned him, he had no absolute guarantee that he had correctly perceived that it was God who spoke to him, or that he had correctly understood what God wanted him to do. And like Isaiah, we too are called, cleansed, commissioned to venture forth in faith for the sake of the Lord whose call is both mighty enough and gracious enough to use sinful people finite people like you and me to accomplish His purpose. The fact is, Isaiah, Moses, Peter, James and John, Mary, Miriam, Hannah, Abraham and Sarah, none of us are qualified. But we're in good company. Now, rumor has it that archaeologists have recently unearthed a letter found in Jerusalem, and it's from the Jordan Management Consultants, and it's addressed to Jesus. 
It reads, Thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have taken our battery of tests. We've not only run the results through our computer, but we've also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and our vocational aptitude consultants. Now, the profiles of all tests are included, and you'll want to study them carefully. And as part of our service, we'll make some general comments. These are given as a result of our staff consultation, and they come without any additional fee. Now, it's the staff's opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you're undertaking. They do not have the team concept. So we recommend you continue your search. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The brother James and John, well, they place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas has a skeptical attitude that would tend to undermine morale. And it's our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the General Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, have radical leanings, and they show a very high score on the manic depressive scale. Only one shows really great potential, ability, resourcefulness, a business mind, meets people well, ambitious, highly motivated. So we recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller, and right-hand man. Uh, it's a silly illustration, but I think it makes an important point. God does not call the qualified. God qualifies the called. Each one of us has some vocation given by God. Every one of us called to faith is also called to service in the kingdom of God. And we're gifted in some particular way for the sake of the whole. Now, full-time ministry clearly is not for everyone. But there are, in fact, endless ways to work out our vocation, our calling. We are first and foremost disciples of Jesus Christ, and that means that our professional lives and our personal activities are all subject to the ultimate claim of God upon our lives. Christian wholeness means the commitment of one's entire life to the Lord, regardless of one's particular work. And when life begins to center in our commitment to Christ and His claim upon us, life takes on new focus, it takes on deeper meaning, it takes on different direction. And we allow ourselves to be used for God's purposes. George Bernard Shaw once wrote, This is the true joy of life. The being used up for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one. Being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clot of ailments and grievances complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. Now, in this Choir Appreciation Sunday, 
we celebrate and we give thanks for those in our choir who weekly use their gifts and talents to lead us in worship with song. Music is faith's universal language, and through it we experience God's transcendence, lifts our spirits, touches our souls, beyond the capacity of words alone. A new unity is achieved when we sing together despite all the differences represented in this sanctuary. Music and worship are inseparable throughout history. The earliest biblical accounts include numerous references to music and musical instruments. Moses and the Israelites sang to the Lord after escaping from Egypt. Hannah sings in response to her pregnancy with Samuel. Mary, the mother of Jesus, sings the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. There was music and dancing in the home, in the parable, when the prodigal son returned. And the Psalms are filled with reference to music and musicians and musical instruments. Make a joyful noise to the Lord was a call to worship. Now, each one of us have been given a particular voice to contribute to the shared experience of worship. And without your voice, without your presence, without your contribution here in worship, our communal experience falls short. We're diminished without you, and you're diminished without us. We together have been called to make music in worship. In the New Testament, Paul exhorts the Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody of the Lord in your hearts. And the command in Paul of Paul to be filled with the Spirit is connected to singing. There's unity that's achieved in choral singing with distinctive differences and parts contributing. Not everyone's a soprano, not everyone's a tenor or a bass or a baritone, and yet there's some kind of a unity that's experienced that's more the sum of its parts. In many ways, music provides a model for the church at enacting our unity. There's one melody. Though people of different gender and people of different ages and people of different ethnicities and experiences and education and background all sing that one melody. So at a basic level, singing together reminds us that there's others in the room and that they have their own voices. But in singing, we participate in the experience of using our voices alongside others and in concert with them to make music. While the church sings, our distinctive voices become part of a chorus of praise and joy to the God who gives us voice, to the God who helps us find our voice, and to the one who is still there when our voices 
grow silent. The worship of the Lord has always and will always include music because of the power of music to transcend human life. Our hearts are lifted. Our griefs are expressed. Our prayers are sung. Our faith can be taught in and through music. So we owe a debt of gratitude to our choir this morning on this Appreciation Sunday. We owe a debt of gratitude to our director, Dr. Glenda Lang, to Lisa Edwards, to our other instruments, John Dewar, and many others, section leaders, soloists, and members of this choir. They have led us into a deeper experience of the power of worship, the unity of the body of Christ. And each of these people here at some point said, here am I. Send me. Let me join this choir. So I want to take just a moment to give our thanks to our sopranos. Let us give our thanks to God for their gifts of ministry. Thank you. And to our altos here, who I sing with. And to our tenors and basses that you get to look at every Sunday. And to Dr. Glenda Lang and to Lisa Edwards. You have our undying thanks. Thank you. Maybe this is the year that you decide the Lord is calling you to add your voice in some way to the proclamation of the Lord. It might be simply witnessing to your faith in your place of work or in your neighborhood, or even to your own family. It may be adding your voice to this choir. It may be even deeper than that, like Isaiah. It may be a call to the ministry, to being a prophet or a pastor. Any calling requires both an internal motivation and an external confirmation that you've been given the gifts and the abilities to pursue that call. It happened for Isaiah, it happened for me, and it's happened for countless people throughout history. And maybe, maybe today you are hearing God's call on your life. In just two weeks, we'll gather in this sanctuary, and we at a congregational meeting will elect new officers who have said to the officer nominating committee, Here am I. Send me. Thanks to the Lord, who doesn't call the qualified, but qualifies the called. Amen.